Hello ladies and gentlemen, hope you are all well. would like to thank you for joining today's webinar titled Investigating the Potential Benefits of Enhanced End-to-End -end Supply Chain Visibility. So let's get started. My name is Liz Esteban and I'm the moderator here to provide any technical support. If you are experiencing any issues, you can contact me by using the chat box in your webinar toolbar. Just a bit about Osroads. Osroads supports its member organisations, those listed here, to deliver an improved road transport network. Osroads members are collectively responsible for managing 900,000 kilometres of roads valued at more than $20 billion. Our collective approach delivers value for money, encourages shared knowledge and drives consistency for road users. We are proud to bring this webinar to you today. We have three presenters today and presentations will run for approximately 35 minutes altogether. We then have a live Q&A at the end for 15 minutes where you can ask our presenters any questions. We are also recording today's session and we'll be sharing the footage on the conclusion of the webinar. The presentation slides can also be downloaded in the handout section in the webinar toolbar. We encourage you to participate in the webinar, so please don't be afraid to ask any questions. Simply type your questions into the question box at any stage of the presentation and we'll answer them during the question time right at the end. So the objective of this session is to give you a demonstration of the tangible benefits to the Australian economy that efforts to improve supply chain visibility can bring. The information that will be presented is detailed in the OSSERD report, which is available to download on OSSERD's website or in the handout section in the webinar toolbar. So it's my pleasure to introduce to you our presenters for today. Uh, they're all joining us remotely from different states across Australia. So first up we have Julian Brenny, who is the Policy Officer at the Australian Government Department of Infrastructure and Regional Development. He's also the Project Manager for this Ostrich project. He's currently assisting the Secretariat for the Inquiry into National Freight and Supply Chain Priorities, which is seeking to improve Australia's freight and supply chain efficiency and capacity. We then have Rose Epic-Darling, who is a research fellow at Deakin University Centre for Supply Chain and Logistics. She has a background in executive management, project management and public policy in the areas of transport infrastructure and freight and logistics. And lastly, we have David McNeil, who is a manager customer service fulfillment for One Steel. He has over 35 years experience in the manufacture, sales and distribution of steel products in the Australasia market. So here we have the agenda for today. Julian will be giving an overview of the supply chain visibility project, discussing more about the evolution of the project. We then have Rose who will be presenting the benefits, findings and recommendations of the project and giving you an intro of the GS1 system. David will then be outlining a case study involving one still and then Julian will then round up and provide a conclusion. So I'll now hand it over to Julian. Yeah, <clears throat> thanks, Liz. Um, first of all, I'd just like to, to thank Osrose for putting this uh, forum together. It's been a lot of hard work uh, because I've been running around the countryside for the uh, inquiry. Uh, so thanks for chasing me up and for putting this on. And uh, it's the first time I've, I've been involved in one of these, uh, and I really uh, like the, the opportunity to be part of a forum like this because I often use. Uh, go to a, a site in, from the United States called Talking Freight, uh, which uh, does similar um, sort of uh, webinars and it's a really valuable use, uh, source of information and I hope that this can serve as a similar purpose for, for Australian users. Um, so in terms of the FS2000 project, um, I'll just uh, give you a little bit of, a, of the backstory to start with. So uh, about uh, two or three years ago, the Department of uh, Infrastructure and Regional Development had some discussions uh, with the Australian Logistics Council, uh, who have a technology working group, um, which Dave McNeil, who's one of the other speakers, is, is the chair of. Um, they had uh, been involved in a project um, with uh, Melbourne University and uh, GS1 on developing a, a proof of concept for uh, a EPSIS, so I won't go into it, but it was a, a global standard for um, moving parcels, which is a, a common um, application 
as it were, in um, the retail sector. I think um, pretty much, well, 80% of Australia's retailers use um, GS1 uh, global data standards. But at that stage, uh, there was a very small take up in uh, transport companies. Um, they they thought, saw um, that as a, as a problem, and um, you know the, there was uh, an opportunity to use uh, global data standards, and, and out of using global data standards to achieve greater efficiencies uh, in the road transport network, and, and, and to be honest, road and rail, um, and. The department is keen to encourage uh, technologies which uh, drive greater efficiencies in the network, and so uh, we agreed to work with uh, GS1 and the ALC's technology working group to uh, run three uh, pilots, uh, or, or to, to look at, at, at these, this project. So um, we approached uh, Osroads. Um, for for the funding and we were successful and uh, I worked uh, closely with uh, people in my department and the reference group to prepare uh, a project brief uh, which we went out to consultants um, and we chose um, what was the Victorian University's Institute for Supply Chain Logistics and is now the, in, has moved over to Deakin uh, since the project has uh, concluded. Uh, and Rose is uh, a representative of, of that um, uh, group and did a lot of really good work on this project. Um, and I think uh, I think it's been a it's been a really interesting um, uh, project. I, I do remember a couple of years ago at an ALC conference, the secretary of my department was asked uh, whether what knowledge he had of supply chains. And uh, he he remarked back to the questioner that uh, we we didn't have a lot, and that we really relied on industry to 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 tell us what what the issues were. And uh, this process has been a really really good opportunity to work closely with people in industry and people in academia to have a better understanding of what supply chains are and how they work and how they can be improved. Um, because uh, the, the word supply chain gets uh, bandied around a lot, uh, but it's um, but having a, a more of an understanding about the, the intricacies behind supply chains and some of the um, difficulties with supply chain integration uh, in industry uh, is, I think, going forward, that's probably where the most efficiency gains are, are going to come from, uh, and uh, it's not. It can be a little bit um, difficult to, to understand, but it's worth persevering because it is a, it's a very industry interesting topic in, as far as transport is concerned. Um, I have a, uh, a dot point here about the, one of the key findings of the report, which was a, an industry-led strategy. Um, I think I'll, I'll save that for the conclusion because uh, I'm going to discuss a little bit about the, uh, the National Freight and Supply Chain Strategy. Uh, and that fits into that. So I'd like to hand over to uh, Rose uh, and uh, she can uh, explore a bit more about the, the project. Thank you. Thanks, Julian. I'll just... Okay. Um, our role, as Julian explained, was to identify benefits and costs via uh, some industry pilots which introduced uh, global data standards uh, across two domestic supply chains and one international supply chain uh, which was an important distribution task. So I thought um, what I might do is quickly take you through the use, the GS1 standards and what they uh, are used for, for those of you who have not had anything to do with them. And, and given that only 1% of transport and logistics industry uh, is using uh, global data standards, I, I think that it's very worthwhile that 
we get a handle on this. Basically, uh, this GS1 system, which was used in the pilots, is about being able to identify uh, assets uh, and activities uh, along a uh, supply chain from manufacturer or supplier through to consumer and uh, it uses a number of different coded identifiers to do that. It then captures those identifiers in various ways using RFID or barcodes um, or QR codes. There are various uh, methods to capture that information that's associated either with the freight or the vehicle or the asset, perhaps it's a, a container or a pallet or a carton, uh, and also the event that takes place. And then the whole idea of what we're trying to achieve is to be able to see what's happening with that asset, that particular piece of freight, and to share it along with other supply chain participants. Now, on average, there were four supply chain participants in the pilot uh, of these uh, testing these standards. And uh, what we did was you would have probably heard of electronic data interchange or interface where it sparks a financial transaction and uh, my system talks to your system to say, yes, uh, that product has been delivered. We added to that uh, what's called EPCIS, Electronic Product Code Information Services. I don't know about these acronyms, pretty interesting, but basically what it means is what is going on out there. This is the big gap in visibility that we've had. And so by adding these messages that say, I'm running late, I'm stuck in traffic, there's been an accident, no, I did not collect that particular piece of freight, we begin to be able to take more control of our supply chains. In measuring the benefits, we went through a process with each of the companies involved. We took a baseline survey to establish what visibility was currently in place, how they were currently tracing products, what were the messages and what was the technology that they were using. We then said, okay, what are metrics that are meaningful to you uh, by which we could measure what benefits and what costs this activity is producing for each of the participants in this supply chain, not just the customer, not just the supplier, but all of the participants, the freight forwarders, the transport operators, the warehouse operators, etc. We then put in place the pilot, which was managed with uh, GS1, working with the companies. Some companies had no platform to load information to, and a GS1, what was basically a sandbox called EasyTrack, was used. Others had their own quite uh, sophisticated platforms, and they used that. Then we left the pilot uh, for 12 months in operation after having taken that baseline data and then revisited after that period to see what had improved and what benefits either expected or unexpected were being delivered. Uh, then we analysed that data and uh, reported on it. So that was the process. Across four metrics, really, I think most of the KPIs sat and they were around improvements to efficiency, that is things like cost downs, uh, on time, the kinds of things that we would generally define in the industry as DIFOT, delivery in full on time. Visibility was plugging the gaps uh, between uh, what happens when that truck leaves your site uh, 
uh, and it arrives at a particular point, be it an intermodal hub or be it a customer DC, uh, often there is no visibility in that space. And it's interesting that we found that for imported product, there are some really significant visibility gaps, uh, often more so than in the domestic uh, distribution activities. Integrity. Integrity goes to two things. One is the integrity of the product itself. The other is to the integrity of the data that's being used across the supply chain. Do you have the same information that I have? Is this a true story of exactly what's happening physically? And of course with integrity uh, in an international setting as well as domestic, there are issues around counterfeiting, uh, product pilferage um, and country of origin and so on, so cross-border starts to come in there. In terms of innovation, we were really interested to see whether any of the companies had been able to innovate either in their processes or in uh, the way they uh, use technology or use the data uh, to improve the dynamic capabilities of their business. Because you know the, the story that IT is an internal capability, it, it's very difficult to measure, uh, is quite true. So we were looking for outward manifestations of this. The benefits that we anticipated we would find were around product traceability, improved efficiency, improved planning within the supply chain, improved customer service, actual visibility. Now there's a difference between traceability and visibility. Visibility I, I suggest is about the forward movement of goods, traceability is about being able to view the backward movement and what has happened with the goods uh, and be able to uh, intervene to uh, retrieve something from that supply chain. The other is compliance, improved ability to comply with regulatory requirements. And what did we find within the toll global uh, pilot, which was a merchandise product being imported uh, from its supplier origins. It's a really complex supply chain which comes out of the EU. It's warehoused, it's put on rail, it's brought uh, to the port, it's, so it travels across Europe, it arrives in China, it's co-mingled with other products, it's shipped to Sydney and then it is warehoused or transported directly to uh, retailers. So it's quite a complex task in terms of this supply chain. Uh, as well as businesses within the toll group, there are four external parties who needed to collaborate to deliver this. They found that their DIFOT measures improved by 20%. Now we're talking over the period of their pilot, over 2 million messages and pieces of data were being transmitted. So we're talking about a really significant uh, volume of information uh, that was handled and product. So you can see that a 20% improvement uh, in outcomes delivered is very significant when you have uh, customers and retailers who are relying on that measure. Inbound logistics planning capacity improved significantly and this was around things like being able to bring forward stock for sales, being able to plan better for capacity in their 3PL warehousing, uh, being able to plan their uh, transport demand more carefully as well as their inventory levels. Diagnostics and decision making capacity, they have uh, many internal reports and diagnostics and uh, much of the quality of those internal reports was dependent on what data was available 
and there were many gaps and they found a significant improvement which had supported their strategic decision-making capacity so that if there was a repeat problem, say in terms of delivery schedules, uh, that would become really evident and they would be able to deal with that in a systematic way. So they felt that their responsiveness had improved significantly just for this one product line um, to now make it worthwhile rolling out this uh, visibility across the whole of their uh, toll global operations. Now I don't want to steal Dave's thunder but I think this one slide really shows one of the key gains for Arium One Steel and uh, what I think is noticeable and I'm sure he will talk to it is that after 12 months of implementation the improvement in the baseline cost, the drop in baseline cost for domestic deliveries for the rod and steel products had uh, almost or more than doubled uh, because the transport managers had become used to uh, the data and used to now using it to say to customers, well, you could do this or you could do that and having much more of a handle on the costs and being able to work more closely with customers to control those costs. It certainly improved turnaround uh, and pre-delivery planning on site where customers were receiving product and I'm really pleased at the innovation demonstrated by the company in developing mobile apps for their carriers, particularly their SME carriers, recognising the limitations in the capability of the small end of the market. Uh, that app was around load restraint, by the way. Um, Nestle are still in progress at the moment working on theirs, tracking at a pallet level, product moving from the east coast to the west coast. They believe that they will get much faster resolution of failures uh, in their delivery schedules. They'll be able to track product at the pallet level. This has only been possible via uh, the introduction of transport labels uh, that have been developed with GS1 and also being able to reconcile invoices. Uh, people in industry would understand that sometimes it can take five days to reconcile the difference uh, between um, a shipping notice, goods received and what the transport said that they delivered. In fact, uh, this group has a call centre offshore doing this very thing and it's a complex project and it's, it's time consuming and it uh, ultimately has a quite a low business value but it has to be done. The opportunity to be able to immediately reconcile invoices to immediately get proof of delivery uh, is a massive improvement on what is currently happening. Again, the quality of the analytics, businesses run on analytics these days, they need good quality data inputs. Nestle is going through a process of lifting its B2B capability building. Many of the companies that we have dealt with over this pilot are really gearing up for digital business and that's what this is an, enable, an enabler of. What were our findings? Look, we think that given the low understanding at this point in time by our freight transport sector in particular, it's probably a good idea to begin slowly on this journey towards visibility by at least getting the freight identified, the assets identified. Uh, it's, uh, it means that you probably have to clean up data. I, we did hear about uh, one of the companies involved having six locations coded into their uh, spreadsheets for the same place, the same delivery. 
uh, those sorts of things, that master data has to be cleaned up and this is a great way to start it. Partner readiness is really critical. This is by nature a collaborative activity. You all need to be in harness together and that's probably, to be frank, the hardest part of delivering supply chain visibility. It's not a lone enterprise and in our industry there is so much that's highly individualised, highly proprietorial and uh, highly competitive. This is a collaborative activity and so cultural changes are a really huge issue within uh, freight transport in particular. The major customers have an incredible role because of their pool power. Uh, those of you may recall when the retailers decided on a data standard, uh, probably about 15 years ago, and the argument was all over because Woolies and Coles said, this is how it's going to be, folks. This is a similar thing where the big players at the top end of town can be incredibly influential and we call on them to uh, do their part in delivering visibility. We believe that there's enough benefit at the firm level for an industry-led adoption program. Um, we've defined uh, certainly a penalty for SMEs who are unable to do this, but there are quite significant benefits as we've shown for industry to lead uh, its own rollout uh, with the support of government, but uh, it, it really should be coming from industry. Uh, unfortunately, the logistics service providers believe that they're providing benefits to the suppliers and customers. They perceive that it's a real cost to deliver. They feel that they're not in a position to capture the benefit to the extent that the beginning and end of the chain are, uh, we found that in fact there's not enough understanding of how benefits might be applied to the owner driver or the mum and dad company. It's funny because when they do participate in these things and they deliver uh, the visibility uh, to their customers or the end customer, they'll often then go home and do the manual process uh, because they themselves don't have the systems. So that's a really important thing that needs to be addressed. Um, they often have incompatible and highly bespoke systems in the small end of town and non-standard data formats and it just makes it all the harder for them to automate and deliver visibility. I'd mentioned the lack of a collaborative mindset. It's such a highly competitive industry uh, that we're not used to doing this. Uh, the penalty to SMEs, by the way, that we've documented based on the number of them across Australia uh, and we've detailed the assumptions used, is about $1.63 billion in cost to deliver visibility unless they standardise, in, in which case it'll cost um, around 25% of that. So it's quite a significant saving for our small freight transport companies if they do standardise. Uh, we recommend that there be a strong program, communications, uh, working with government to uh, use common freight identification labels and messaging standards. Uh, we believe that an industry-led supply chain visibility strategy should be tried over a five-year period and at that point, if there hasn't been widespread adoption, um, then it may be worthwhile government considering mandating given the benefits are definitely there. We believe that more work needs to be done with the SMEs, particularly as this is uh, over 98% of the sector in terms of the number of businesses. This is a massive tale of small businesses in Australia. 
Uh, and the top four logistic service providers in Australia are incredibly dependent on these SMEs. Uh, so it has the ability to make a huge impact across the industry. Uh, industry leadership through freight customers and peak bodies, this is where we believe uh, bodies such as uh, the ATA, the ALC, uh, the Supply Chain Logistics Association are all in a great position to demonstrate leadership here. Um, that GS1 Australia support data sharing and security protocols um, for these supply chain applications. Telecommunications infrastructure upgrades because as we know this all relies on strong communications infrastructure. Uh, we're interested to see whether government uh, in one of its um, agencies uh, may adopt these standards across their supply chain in order to lead by example. And we're also interested in uh, the extent to which uh, public value applications in terms of regulatory and infrastructure um, monitoring and compliance uh, could be using this sort of approach with open uh, standards and ability to share data from out of industry on, for instance, uh, its use of terminals and network infrastructure. So we try to sweat our assets more in planning for investment. You know, freight is such a highly privatised activity and the dearth of data on who's using what parts of the network and where the demand is, uh, is something that uh, could be largely ameliorated using this sort of visibility system. A linking real-time compliance monitoring, uh, particularly on uh, COR and transport security. A chain of responsibility, I should say, no acronyms. Um, Emergency management, real-time response data, there's an opportunity there. And in monitoring asset lifecycle, um, particularly across strategic transport networks. So there are many public values that could be delivered uh, via using this sort of system if industry is using uh, an open uh, global standard. Okay, well I'll hand to David now and David's going to talk about the experience of OneSteel. Thank you. Thanks Rose. Um, right, so uh, my name's David McNeil. I look after the customer service team in Newcastle for OneSteel and that's a team of about 20 people and across that team we're responsible for the order processing and execution of around $2 billion worth of revenue uh, around steel products you know, across the country. So today what I want to talk about is I'll give you a little bit of an introduction to our business but just purely from the point of uh, putting a bit of context about who we are and what we do uh, and then I'll talk about the why visibility of the supply chain is critical for our business uh, and then I'll talk in a bit of detail about um, uh, the work that we've done and that has been covered off in the in the Post Road study that's been published. So a little bit about OneSteel, um, just to sort of preface that, um, uh, we're very much part of the Australian economy and have been for a long time and, and hope to continue down that way. Uh, core values for our business are around customer and safety and under our brands, the, the importance of our brands or values is around innovation, um, excellence in all, we, all that we do, uh, the expertise that we deliver to, in terms of our products and services and how we collaborate in industry and with our customers and trading partners. So a bit about our business, uh, the RM Group, which is part of, uh, which one still is part of, comprises our mining operations, and our steel operations, and I'm a part of the steel operation, and, and that's what I'll be talking about today. Takes in our manufacturing business, our distribution business, and our recycling business. 
and just around our manufacturing footprint. Uh, everyone would have heard about One Steel Whale. It's been in the news rather a lot lately. Um, but that's uh, that business employs around 950 people, uh, has a revenue, an annual revenue of the order of $700 million, uh, and it produces billet in the form of semi-finished steel, but also it's the um, only manufacturer of rail products and large hot rolled structural steels in the Australian market. Uh, we have our one steel rod and rod bar and wire business that comprises six manufacturing sites, employs around 1,300 people and has a revenue just shy of $1.5 billion and it, amongst other things, produces reinforcing bar, rod for wire production, merchant bar and a whole range of wire products and that's sold into our chosen distribution channels. Last but not least, as part of the manufacturing footprint of, of One Steel is our tube mills business, Oz Tube Mills. Um, it has two manufacturing sites, 210 people, and revenue of around the order of $230 million. And that's the largest Australian manufacturer, manufacturer of um, high quality structural steel pipe and tube products. Then, in terms of our distribution business, uh, we have Metal Centre, which uh, looks after the distribution of a broad range of products. It buys in bulk from the likes of our business, uh, the manufacturing side of things. So it'll buy big parcels of steel from us, but then we'll break that down in turn and resell to um, fabricators, engineering firms, uh, resellers. Uh, so it, it operates across 52 sites across the country, 720 people, and revenue of the order of 580 million. Uh, a, a fairly broad footprint across the Australian um, geography. Then we have our two steel and concrete businesses, which is the One Store Reinforcing brand and ARC. Uh, one Store Reinforcing, 35 sites, 860 people, revenue of around about 580 million. It's Australia's largest reinforcing provider. It focuses on top tier projects uh, and is you know, the likes of Barangaroo in Sydney and it's uh, all about helping customers with their major construction risks. ARC, 30 sites, 680 people, and revenue of the order of 480 million. And it's, um, it is all too a leading provider of reinforcing products, but it tends to target mid-tier and smaller project markets. Now in terms of the products, uh, our products are not quite like parcels. They're long, they're bulky, um, photo there is of some uh, hot rod structural steel in our plant in Wyala. It can be anywhere from 6 metre length, length up to 20 metres and with rail products up to about 27.5 metres. So we're uh, nice and bulky. Um, we do coiled rod that uh, will end up uh, mesh production for reinforced concrete or in wire. And that uh, can be um, up to 2 tonnes and we also will do up to 5 tonne bundles of uh, steel. But the hallmark of all of that, and we're producing something like in our manufacturing business, uh, over a million coils or bundles per annum. Each one of those is uniquely identified. Each one is traceable at a bundle coil level. And uh, it's, it's a point of particular pride for us in terms of the quality of the product in our services. And where do our products end up? So these are examples on the left is an example of a column being built for the Dandy 9 project in, in Victoria. Uh, and that just shows you the degree of detail and complexity in fitting reinforcing bar into a structural element. Uh, it's not just simply a case of laying down a bit of mesh and just throwing a bit of concrete over it. It is a complex engineering uh, problem and it's one that our, our businesses manage day in, day out. Yeah. Uh, on the right is a photo, I think it's from the Queen Street project in Brisbane and it shows our hot rolled structural steel in situ uh, that's a product that's been rolled in, in Wyala and it may not be quite clear on your screens but you might just see that there's some marking on each of those beams. Each beam is individually stenciled uh, with the identity of the heat number and the identity of the product itself and that's done with robotic uh, line marking at our operations in Wyala. So again, um, the importance of identification of our product is pretty important about preserving and maintaining the quality of our product and services. So why is supply chain visibility critical for our business? Well, in, 
in short, it's because our, our customers and trading partners have fairly complex needs. We're generally dealing with major projects um, and we've been called upon continually to look for ways to innovate our products and services. Australian certification and compliance is critical and uh, more and more the sustainability of our products and services is being uh, challenged and pushed. And so all of that also combined with um, the importance of reliability of delivery through a fairly complex supply chain, the certainty, uh, providing certainty of um, the cost of our products and services and on-time delivery and uh, not surprisingly for the, some of the projects that we're involved in, just part of our core value is um, the need for scrupulous attention to safety uh, and in terms of the, the community and the environment that we operate in, parcel of all that is the, that we need to minimise our truck movements and accurately schedule those truck movements so that when we say it'll get there, it gets there on time and under the crane. So how does our business go about meeting that challenge and how does it play back into uh, the Osroad studies? Well, we, you know, we talk about a kit bag and that comprises um, our e-commerce solutions, which I won't go into a huge amount of detail this morning. But what I will talk about is what we do around the product identification piece and uh, around uh, what we call the one tag project that we undertook. And associated with that is the scanning that we're starting to do in our business and, and, the, and also what our customers are starting to enjoy benefits of. And I'll also talk a little bit about track and trace, which uh, plays back into the case study. So product identification, what was the problem? Well, this is uh, I think pretty clearly answered by the photos on the right. That's um, product tags from, and this was our situation back in December 2012. We had a number of production centres all happily identifying and labelling product and all having a go at barcoding, but the problem was they were all doing it different. We had different layouts, the fonts were different, inconsistent content, and not least, and actually probably most importantly, uh, we were, people were all putting barcodes on, happily putting barcodes on, but the barcodes were inconsistent from mill to mill. And because of that, uh, it was adding cost of complexity to our business. It was incredibly confusing for our customers and it was just an impenetrable barrier to trying to deliver on some technology initiatives. So back in late 2012, we undertook an exercise to um, revamp and clean up all of our product identification. And the solution that we came up with is the tag on the right. And that um, what, what we did is we worked very closely with GS1 Australia uh, and um, went down the path of um, as Rose indicated in her presentation, we work very closely with GS1 Australia and came up with a barcoding solution that wasn't a one steel one, it wasn't an Australian one. It was actually a barcoding standard that meets and is uh, international standards and is an open source standard. And what we have done is actually introduced a, a data matrix, which is a GS1 barcoding standard, and that's that little square. Uh, barcode that you can see in the middle of the picture of the tag, uh, as well as keeping the old one-dimensional barcode at the bottom. And what it's meant is that um, we've been able to standardise on our product tag across our rod and bar business, uh, across our Australian tube mills business and across our Wyala business. So all of those mills, um, the product labels might look slightly different, but they are uh, all barcoded consistently with the same barcoding standard. It's uh, just a very uh, concise three minute um, video that was filmed for us by GS1. And that actually shows the scanning going on in, in our uh, operations, uh, particularly at our Laverton mills in Melbourne and at our bar mill in Sydney. Uh, and one of the things that we started to enjoy, the benefits we started to enjoy around that um, standardized tag and barcode and is covered in the Osroads report is that we suddenly went from uh, truck turnaround time in our Sydney operation where it would take something like 30 to 40 minutes to scan, uh, to put product on a truck and get the truck out the door. With scanning, uh, we were able to start shaving five to 10 minutes off truck loads, uh, loading times. 
and that's been a huge return on the bottom line. It's meant that our mill in Sydney is actually uh, breaking production records as we speak, and on the back of that, our warehouse is dispatching record tons, uh, which is a major uh, major achievement and a great result for that for the for that business. But the story didn't end there. The, the beauty of going to that open standard and working to those global data standards, it meant that um, our customers have started to recognise that and are starting to enjoy the benefits. And in this particular video, uh, you'll see that Pandrol, who is a manufacturer in Western Sydney, Pandrol manufacture rail clips that hold rails to sleepers, and they do that not only for the Australian market but for the global market. They recognise the work that we have done with GS1 Australia on, on standardising on our barcodes and they made an investment within their business to um, beef up their scanning capability so that they could actually start scanning the barcode on our product. And for them, the improvement to their business was significant. It meant that uh, instead of three or four different people trying to write down information on our product tag, it meant that they could just simply scan it once and capture all the information automatically. And so they've seen a lift in their productivity. They've also seen a lift in their quality. And that's been one of the hidden benefits for us and, and, our, and our operations is that the more we do of scanning, not only are we improving on our turnaround times, but we're eliminating simple mistakes where rather than someone trying to write down a, a bundle number or coil number, and making a mistake, uh, they've eliminated that error. So it's been an incredibly good news story for us and uh, and we're starting to do more and more scanning uh, in our production sites and we're getting more and more interest from our customers. And we wouldn't get that unless we were working to an open global data standard. One still, we manufacture rod and bar products. We worked with GS1 to standardise how we do our product identification across a number of our business units. And it's been a very successful exercise. We've now got a standard tag across our operations in Newcastle, Sydney and Melbourne, all compliant with GS1 standards, and our customers are starting to really embrace using that scanning and capability of those product tags. Our operators needed to do a lot of manual translation of tagging information. The inconsistency in the tagging meant they had to work harder at identifying bundles. But with the new tagging system, enable them to be able to read tags more consistently, enables our inventory balancing to be a better stock take. And on average, we save around 10 minutes per truck loading. So it's been a huge success. In the area of customer, the benefit that we have is the traceability of the tagging system. We're able to better understand and track our product. Uh, we're able to get checks and balances against putting product on truck so we get it right first time and we don't encumber our customer with incorrect deliveries. One Steel went down the track of implementing a system in their warehouse to prevent errors coming out to their customer. Prior to that, we had to record all the separate pieces of information manually off the One Steel tag. We saw that as an opportunity to take that technology and implement it into our incoming materials, removing considerable amounts of paperwork in probably one-tenth of the time it used to take. But once we got talking to OneSteel and they introduced us to GS1, we realised that if we used a standard that we could get the information easily. And what happens now is that we have error-free entry of all our inbound material. And that means then that people aren't tied up trying to sort out a problem if someone makes an incorrect transaction. So we can make sure it gets to where it has to go when it needs to be there. One scan, all collected, done.
So that's around product identification and that's covered in the case study. But the other thing that we talk about in the case study is around the challenge of track and trace and, and Rose alluded to some of our benefits. But just firstly, a bit of perspective around the, the challenge for us, which is pretty much the same challenge for anyone who's a manufacturer or distributor in Australia. We've got to cover large, large distances. Um, as I said, we're moving something like you know, one and a half million to two million tonne of steel across the country, but predominantly from our um, eastern manufacturing centres, but also from our operations in Wyala in South Australia. We don't own any transport assets. All of our product is moved with transport providers, and we have numerous transport and logistics providers, ranging from small to medium-sized enterprises right through to the large-scale logistics providers such as uh, um, tolls, K&S, freighters, and, uh, and, and a big part of our business is using Pacific National and their rail freight network. Uh, and same for, for any manufacturer or distributor, we ought to also have the ongoing challenge of the last mile. But we don't own or operate any transport assets, so we're relying on our transport providers to help us get to that last mile. So. What we've done um, is we've worked very closely with the Australian Logistics Council, uh, GS1 Australia and our transport providers and we've developed and implemented two EDI messages for transport and logistics which are global standards um, and um, where they are the transport instructions. Now that's what we send from our businesses to our transport providers and that's providing information in an open source uh, message around uh, what it is that we want picked up, where do we want it picked up, when do we need it, where do we need it delivered to and when do we need it delivered. And in turn, our transport companies uh, that we deal with are sending back status messages where they can give us detail on uh, what product's been delivered, where it's been delivered. And so what we're starting to see now uh, and this is some screenshots from our metal centre business, which is really leading the way on this piece of work. Um, what you see on the left is a real-time log of actual events on a delivery. And uh, so that gives you an example of the actual transport status message coming back into our system. So we have real-time uh, monitoring of deliveries. On the right is just a screenshot from Google Maps and that's where our business is actually geofencing our customers' locations and through some smarts around truck telematics and GPS, we can actually automate some of the registering of events. So um, as Rose uh, showed in her slide, look, we've seen through the implementation of global data standards around the track and trace piece, uh, we've seen an 11.5% reduction in freight costs and we're still enjoying that. And that's simply just through uh, elimination of paper-based documents, reduction in processing errors, making it easier for our guys to optimise the load planning and more efficient in our communication. Um, so that's been a huge result and it lays a huge foundation for us to do more improvements for the services that we deliver for our customers and, and can open up some different market offers. Um, the role that the Global Data Day standards played and continues to play in that project was we can get better clarity around sharing key elements of the data exchange necessary for transport planning and execution. Um, just. And I'll just to give you an example of how starting to bring all that together and then can throw, throw it up to questions. This is an example and um, probably should have had a better, quali better quality photo of the product in the warehouse, but that's a photo of a bundle of pipe and tube out of our OzTube mills, uh, but that's the product sitting in a rack in our metal centre distribution business. And just to give you an example, what they're doing around the product identification piece on the back of global data standards. Across the country, metal centres scanning something like a thousand pick scans per day. And they're not relabeling, they're just using the labels that we've put on back in the manufacturing process. They're scanning that label, it's carrying out an automatic QA check to verify the material for a customer order, it's doing the inventory check, and in the background, their systems actually retrieving and emailing the test certificate for that particular product to the end customer. 
So along with the track and trace, we're also sending a forward notification to the customer via the in the form of the test certificate, and that's giving them forward notification that the product's arrived, it's covering off on the traceability, and it's also covering off uh, around Australian content, which is um, not a, a pretty important thing to achieve. And that's how we're getting there. And we're going to do more of more of this. Uh, and I, I suppose all I, I can um, questions for the for, for people to consider is if you guys were doing this in your business, what data or information could your company unlock? How could that improve your business? And how could that improve your customers' business? Um, learnings and emerging drivers for us. I'll get very quickly to that. Is it's it's quite important about don't reinvent the wheel. Uh, shared learnings, both local and international collaboration, is critical. Um, apologies for the acronyms, but we work closely with industry groups, whether it's the Australian Steel Institute, uh, the Australian Logistics Council, or Australasian Rail Association. Whatever industry groups in your in your sphere, they're, they're the ones to be working with to drive these improvements. Um, GS1 has been critical to our success, but you need to be stubborn, you need to be patient. And some of the things we're seeing as emerging drivers, safety is ongoing. Um, and but the other thing that we're seeing is uh, around the importance of sustainability, and we think that's a great challenge to have. Uh, and also we're dealing with new master data. It's uh, not just customers and materials, but it's also around the importance of location management or ship to master data. And just a little plug for our life cycle and that what we're trying to do is in all the things that we do around our products and services is around reduce, reuse and recycle. And in the interest of time, I'll conclude at that point and hand back to Julian and to Elias. Thank you. Yeah, thanks Dave. Look, um, I, I, I don't want to take in any more time um, other than to say that this uh, obviously, as Liz mentioned at the start, I'm, I'm the secretary for the inquiry into the national freight and supply chain priorities, which is going to inform a national freight and supply chain strategy. Uh, all, all of the um, the stuff that has been mentioned today by by Dave and Rose will be considered by the inquiry, uh, as, as well as a, a number of other submissions that we've received from people and consultations we've already had so far uh, that have spoken about uh, this subject. But um, I mean, we we agree with the the finding that there needs to be an industry-led strategy for wider adoption. Although the government has seen fit to adopt or mandate. GS1 standards in, in some areas where they could see a public health benefit in, in terms of pharmaceuticals. But yes, I think at this stage we only we see uh, the importance of an industry-led strategy for water adoption of, uh, of global standards and we're looking forward to, to working with, uh, with the, the GS1 and the Australian Logistics Council and uh, wider industry to, to see that happen. Uh, back to you, Liz. We are aware that we are a bit over time, but uh, yeah, we haven't had any attendees drop off. So, we, uh, did you want to go through the questions? We only had like yeah, um, sure. three questions that have come through, Julian. So, okay. Julian, the first question is for you, which is, are you looking into e-port networks, port community systems as well? If you are looking to get supply chain visibility, Australia has a great chance in this field. We have all the components and systems, and just need to link them and overcome the commerciality issues and silos. So the question is, are you looking into e-port networks as well? Uh, yeah, okay. Um, it's an interesting question. Um, I was only discussing this the other day. Uh, in terms of uh, e-port networks uh, and uh, port community systems, uh, the inquiry uh, has, has discussed um, what what this might mean, or what port community systems might mean for um, you know, in, in increasing national productivity and, and greater efficiency, particularly when you're looking at intermodal connectors to to our major ports and the the, the capacity or the ability to prove the, the capacity of our, our major container ports. Uh, and clearly, that's going to be a, a consideration for. Um, the inquiry going forward. Uh, the the department's also uh, looked into 
to port community systems from a from a number of uh, different um, perspectives, um, you know, preceding the inquiry. Um, but it's something that we're exploring. Uh, it's something that we need to know a lot more about as well. Uh, and uh, I can I can assure you that um, that's, uh, that that is a work a piece of work or a piece of information that we're uh, looking into uh, quite closely at the moment going forward. But I, I don't want to preempt the uh, inquiry as to any recommendations that might be made over the next uh, 12 months or so. Yeah. Okay, thanks for that Julian. Um, I think we will wrap it up there. Um, what we'll do is we'll collate all the questions, put it in a document and then we'll send it out to um, people and we'll also put it up on our website and we'll let everyone know when that's available online. So um, I'd like to thank everyone for joining us and I'd like to thank all our presenters for presenting today. Um, it's been very useful and interesting information that you've all outlined. So as we close this session to our viewers, um, we encourage them to just answer a quick survey. So if you could please fill that one out. But um, yeah, we'll close it off here and thank you all for joining us.